This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. My name is Mo, one of the pastors here. Thank you for being here. And we are going to continue through our Believe series. Two more Sundays. Today and next Sunday, and then we're done. We made it. Well done. 14 months in the book of John. Verse by verse, chapter by chapter, that's how we do it here. And we are going to wrap up um, the, the last chapter. There's just a, there's one, one or two little nuggets at the end of this chapter that is so great. And so we're going to hit one of those today, chapter 21, starting in verse 15. But before I jump into that, I want to give you just a little bit of an update on the building. As you may or may not know, those of you that are new to Conduit may not know that the room that you sit in right now is only two years old. It's, it's, it's a baby. It's in its infancy. And before we built this and expanded into this worship center, we also expanded our parking immensely, but still not quite enough. Um, and then we were given by the county a wonderful septic system. And a, uh, that was a joke. And, uh, and then a couple of retention ponds in the back as well. So all in, this was a $3.4 million project that we broke ground on February of 2020 which is a great time to start a project. And uh, it, was, it was an amazing time. Um, leading up to then, we had been a church for 10 years. And for that decade, we were a debt-free church. Um, we never had a note. And um, everything that came in went out. And, but to get this project going and started, we did have to take a, a mortgage note, $3.4 million all in. Um, but as we've been documenting along the way, it has been our goal to be uh, debt-free as soon as possible so that any and all money that we're sending to the bank, um, we can divert that and go where it really needs to go, and that is into the world and for, for the kingdom work and for the gospel as quick as possible. And so, yeah, you can clap for that. That is our goal. That's why we call ourselves Conduit Church, that we would be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us and not have to worry about a mortgage. And so over the f- several years, or I guess this is year technically year four since we started the process, we've been super aggressive to get this paid down. And you may remember um, about a month or six weeks ago, I had mentioned our new total, which at the time was $720,000. We had gotten it all the way down from 3.4 to $720,000 in about three and a half years. We have a new total. It's a new month. We have a new total. And so our new total now is $600,000 flat. Okay. We're chopping this tree down, like just big swings, just bam. And so it is our goal, though, for, as the graph says, that our 24 goal is that it's zero. So that's two and a half months to raise, to give $600,000, and we believe we can do this. We want to go into 24 knowing that the 10, 20, 30, catch this, last month, because of the overage, because of your generosity, we were able to send $100,000 to the bank, which is great. But we don't want it to go to my friend Jonathan at the bank, who's a really nice guy. But we want it to go into global and local work for the sake of the gospel. We would love nothing more than to, to pour diesel fuel on everything that we're doing and the new opportunities that keep presenting themselves. 
And so as you're thinking about uh, your end of your giving, if you're, th- you're thinking about, hey, I didn't know that information, thanks for making me aware, uh, and you want to jump in with us on that, we would ask that you pray about that. We ask if you have any questions, you would ask us, and we could answer that. But we are excited to get this thing to zero so that we can hit the ground running in 24 for whatever the Lord has next for us. Amen? Okay, thank you. Believe series. Let's jump in. Chapter 21, starting in verse 15, I'm going to read 15 through 19, and then we're going to talk about it. Today is going to feel probably more like a Devo or a, a Bible study. We're just going to go kind of verse at a time here and, and, and learn something that I didn't see beforehand um, when studying this. John 21, starting in verse 15, says, and when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. Do you love me more than these? Talking about the disciples. They are sitting around in a circle, probably around a campfire, eating breakfast right along the shore. They had just come across the Sea of Tiberias, and they are catching up with Jesus post-resurrection. He is there with them, just catching up, and they're catching up around breakfast. I can't think of a better way to catch up with your guys than around a breakfast at a campfire. And that's what they're doing. And so Jesus speaks specifically to Simon Peter, saying, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter responds and says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved. He was hurt because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And Peter responds and says back to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after this, he said to him, follow me. Let's pray. Lord, would you give us um, fresh revelation into this very familiar passage as we end this series? Lord, would you just speak to our hearts? Lord, I pray for a... um, the spirit of humility to be in the room as we search our own hearts. Um, the Lord, that we can, we can listen to these truths of, of your word and apply them to us. Lord, help us to look more like you starting today. In Jesus' name, amen. Simon says, familiar game, right? Familiar game, kid's game. But Simon says a lot of things. Simon Peter. We know him as Simon Peter. We know him as Cephas. We know him as Simon, the son of John. And Simon says a lot. And most of the time when Simon says something, he's getting into trouble. It's uh, all through the Gospels. Anytime Peter starts to run his mouth, he's, he's, he's a little hot-headed. Simon says a lot of things. But in this particular passage, Jesus is addressing Peter for what seemingly is really the first time for them to kind of clear the air for something that happened about three chapters ago. Jesus is asking Peter three questions. It's the same question three different times, but he's really addressing the three questions that 
Peter had been asked three chapters ago, if you look at verse, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 18, verse 15, it's easy to remember, it's three, we're in 21. If you skip back to chapter 18, in the same verse, 15, you'll see the beginning of the discourse of Peter beginning to deny Jesus, where he's asked, do you, do you know Jesus? He's like, I, I don't know who you're talking about. Second time, hey, could you tell me where Jesus is? Aren't you one of the disciples? I've never heard of the guy. Three different times he denies Jesus. And this is really, again, the first time that Jesus starts to address the elephant in the room. He's sitting down with Peter. They're catching up. And Jesus isn't going to let that just kind of slide. Like, we need to talk about this. This thing that happened back here, yeah, we, we, we need to talk. We need to catch up. And so Jesus dives in and asks him, but he doesn't say Peter. He doesn't say, hey, Peter, do, do you love me? No, what does he say? He says, Simon, the son of John, which tells me his birth name is Simon Johnson. Did you realize that? Simon Johnson is who we're talking about here. The, the, the etymology of the surname Johnson just means son of John. So we're talking about Simon Johnson. Do we have, do we, is anybody in this room actually named Simon Johnson? That would be amazing. Be a relative of Peter. Okay, we're good. Because the name doesn't have, it's not, it's not, it's, it's, it means any time that Jesus addresses Peter by Simon, it's usually in a, to correct him. It's to get his attention. And he does it three times, back to back to back. Simon, son of John, we need to talk. I can relate. I'm about to tell you something that you may not know. My real name is not Mo. It's short for Muhammad. No, I'm just kidding. It is not. It is not. It's Maurice. No, it's not that either. No, I'm kidding. No. So anytime that my, I hear my wife say this, this my, my real name, whenever she enters into the room or I hear from a faraway room, Martin, she has my full attention. Because I know I'm about to get corrected on something because she's saying my real name, right? Martin, that's my real name. Mo's a nickname. And sidebar. Okay, because we don't have time to go into why this is a nickname right now. But Darren wrote a book, okay? He wrote a book called Power of the Seven that I think we're going to actually get into here in a few weeks, which is amazing. It's about the, the gifts of the Spirit. Romans chapter 12. I'm just, uh, not, yeah, Romans chapter 12. In the chapter 10 of his book, he addresses and explains the origin story of Mo. So you have that to look forward to. And if you would like to know, you can catch, catch the book and read it yourself. Point being, anytime Jesus says, Simon, son of John, he is trying to get his attention to be focused. I need you to listen to what I'm saying, is what Jesus is saying to Simon. And he asked him three different times the same question. And if if this was be, would, would be an interaction that you and I would have, uh, when you would ask me the same exact question three times in a row after I've given you an answer, I would be a little frustrated. Like, like seriously, what's the deal? Like, did you not hear me the first two times? Uh, but Jesus is asking a very strategic question consecutively where he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter replies, yes, Lord, I love you. Second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
He replies, yes, Lord, I love you. But here's the thing about those first two times, this is what's happening. Jesus is actually saying in the, in the Greek, he is actually saying, Simon, do you agape me? Because in the Greek, the word love there means unconditionally, sacrificially, till the end, to the death. There's really three definitions of, of that Greek word love. There's agape love, there's phileo love, and eros love. And if you break this down, Jesus is being very strategic here with Peter, and he is saying, Simon, son of John, do you agape love me? Do you, do you love me unconditionally, sacrificially, to the end? Peter's response, Simon's response, is yeah, I, I, I love you. But if you look at the breakdown, the word is actually, he responds with phileo love. Yeah, I, I brotherly love you. Phileo, it means brotherly love, affectionate, friend-like love. That's different than unconditional and sacrificial. So Jesus asks him a second time, Peter, do you agape love me? Peter again replies, I phileo love you. And it's in this moment where something happens. Peter starts to realize the importance of the conversation they're having. There's probably a lot of shame wrapped up in the conversation they're having because of what had just happened a few weeks earlier. The, the shame and the guilt of, that he's carrying around of denying and betraying one of his best friends. Peter was in the inner circle. He was one of the guys, completely turned his back on Jesus. And now they're catching up around a camp, campfire to talk about it. And Jesus is asking, do you love me? the way that I love you in the way I just showed you that I love you. And Peter, I don't know if it's because of the shame and the guilt and the heaviness, or he's afraid to be so vulnerable to, to say that in response that he says, I friendship love you. Probably out of a, a fear of vulnerability to, to go that far again, maybe not entrust himself. And then Jesus does something the third time where he meets Peter exactly where he is. And the third time that he asked the question, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you phileo love me? Meets him right where he's at. Peter replies, Lord, yes. You, you, you know that I love you. Like, you know that I love you, right? You can almost hear it in his voice the third time is like, you know everything about me. Like, yes, of course I love you. But it's really Jesus meeting Peter where he is to say, man, do you, at least, you at least brotherly love me though, right? And it's this, this encounter, it's this conversation that they're having where Jesus is attempting to restore their relationship. There'd have been a massive failure that had happened. But Jesus, for him to continue on for what's about to happen, needs to restore this relationship And so there's a bit of a tough love happening from Jesus, drilling down with Simon Peter to address what had just happened. And they're having a heart to heart. And Peter is forced to kind of own up to what happened. And here's the thing, the pain, the honesty, and the vulnerability of owning up to his sin, to his failure, was the only way 
for godly repentance and restoration with Jesus. He had to be honest with the situation. He couldn't just brush it under the rug. Couldn't just kind of hide out and hope that, man, I hope we don't have that conversation, me and Jesus, because that was really awkward how that turned out. No, Jesus hits it head on. Like, we need to talk about this. But he's doing it in a way that shows how much he loves him, how much he cares for Peter, and how much he wants to restore him. And so he's trying to move the needle from what I would call a, a godly repentance and sorrow versus a wor- worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow versus worldly sorrow. And let me explain what that means. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, talks about this. This is Paul writing to the church of Corinth. He's reminding them, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Praise the Lord. But worldly sorrow brings death. Godly sorrow says, I am walking down a path where I've transgressed, I've sinned, I've hurt someone, I have failed. But through the love of God, through the agape love that you've been shown, you realize that, you repent, you you turn around, you head back to the Father. And you say, I'm sorry, I am guilty. Lord, forgive me, change me. That's godly sorrow and repentance. It says it leads to repentance. Godly sorrow leads to repentance and full restoration of the relationship. Worldly sorrow says, I've, I've, sinned, I've sinned, I'm sinning, I'm going to keep walking down this path, I'm going to hide, I'm going to deny, and I'm sorry that I got caught. That's different. Being sorry that you got caught isn't an apology. That's not repentance. And that's what He's trying to paint the picture of right here. That Peter, we need to fully restore you and see repentance because I have big plans for you. Big plans for you. How did he know he had such big plans for him? Well, he changed his name when they met on the shore when they were fishing. He changed it from Simon, son of John. Three years prior, he changed it to Petros. Peter, the rock. I will build my church upon this rock, Peter. You, you're going to lead this. He already knew that. He had big plans for him three years ago. But over the course of three years, the journey, the ups, the downs, and the relationship, the failures, and here they are catching up right before Jesus is about to ascend for the final time. And he has to have this conversation with Peter because he's about to give him a big assignment Moving on, it's, he's being restored from his failure, and now he's able to experience freedom. But this freedom comes with responsibility. He's able to experience freedom. He's released from this because they're, they're having a conversation. Jesus is addressing it. Forgiveness is waiting for him. He receives it. Now we're talking about freedom, freedom with responsibility. He gives him a brand new name. It is no longer Simon Johnson. He now goes by Pastor Peter. He has a new name. It's now Pastor Peter. He's got a new job description. He's got a KRA. He's got key results area one, two, and three. This is what we're about to look at right here. He gives him a brand new name and a new job. Three things he tells him in this passage. And Jesus, he's so brilliant in how he teaches. When we read these things at first, it's kind of like, that doesn't make sense. Why do you keep repeating yourself? Like, Jesus, seriously, you've repeated yourself 10 times in four verses. Like, what are you trying to say? 
And so when we do verse by verse and chapter by chapter, we're, un- we're able to peel the onion back through the incredible brilliance of how Jesus teaches us. So he says these three things to Peter. He says, feed my lambs. He's talking about feed the lambs, feed those new in Christ, those that have just heard the story, those who have just witnessed my resurrection, those new converts in the community. Here, right now, feed them. They are new to the faith. They're confused. They may be scared. Feed my lambs. And then Jesus steps out just a little bit further and instructs Peter to tend my sheep. Those that already believe, those that have already witnessed, those that are a part of this, tend to them, watch over them, protect them, equip them, tend my sheep. And then Jesus sums it up with a a larger role by saying, feed my sheep. Now, Peter, I need you to feed all of these people. Not literally, but spiritually. Feed them with my word. Feed them and lead them. Equip them. Because of what I'm about to do, I need you back here to hold the fort down and not only hold it down, but lead the church. You realize Pastor Peter is the first pastor of the church. We are standing on the shoulders of Pastor Peter. He had a new assignment. He had a new name. And Jesus is restoring him. All through scripture, we see this pattern. We see this pattern of failure, repentance, freedom, responsibility. Failure, repentance, freedom, responsibility. And this is the same pattern that Peter is going through in this story. There's examples of that all through the Old Testament and the New Testament. You can think of Moses and Abraham and David and Rahab and Jonah, Peter, me, you, all of us in this room have had a point, perhaps, where there's been failure, repentance, freedom, and responsibility. There's a failure. And all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're, we're all failures. Please don't walk out of here saying that Mo said you're all failures, like that that was your takeaway for today. But we, apart from Christ, yeah, we, we are. All have sinned. But there's a time where you have the opportunity to repent and to turn, turn back to Christ. And there's a lot of freedom that comes with that. We don't have to live in that anymore. Peter, Simon Peter has, doesn't have to live with those decisions that he made, the, the, the denial, the, the betrayal of Jesus. He doesn't have to live with that anymore. He's probably been carrying that around. And it's probably why he responded the way he did to Jesus sitting around the campfire. He can live in freedom moving forward. And that is true for us. We do not have to live and carry around this victim mentality and this baggage from the past. You are free in Christ. But it doesn't stop there. He gives him a new name and a new task and a new responsibility, a calling. There's things that need to be done. Peter, I've got work to do for you. And isn't it interesting that, that broken, broken people make the, some of the best leaders? Those that have been through it and been through this process of failure and then repentance, which is hard work. Repentance, is, that can be hard work. Not that we have to do anything to receive the forgiveness, but there can be sin and shame and trauma, whatever it is. That, that can be a hard process. But the freedom that comes with it is unmatched. 
but he gives us a new calling. It also says in Romans chapter two, verse four, that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. You see the example of of God's patience, Jesus' patience with Peter in this moment, in this season, should inspire you to know that he's that patient with you. He is that patient with me. And then would I hear that still small voice say my birth name, Martin? I better be paying attention because he wants to draw me back to him. But this doesn't come without a cost. There's a failure, there's freedom, and then there's Peter's faith because he's about to enter into a whole new season that he may not realize the gravity of it, but it's going to come with a cost. And the same is true for us in our lives when we profess Christ. There could be some cost, and especially depending on where in the world you may live. But even here in the States, in Williamson County, there's a cost for having a strong faith. We are persecuted in certain ways. There could be relationships that are cut off. There could be opportunities that are cut off. There are different types of persecution that come our way just for how we believe and who we believe in. That's a real thing. And we need to be prepared for that. And it's okay because of the faith that we have. Peter ended up not only being a pastor, but an author, right? He wrote a few books later in the New Testament. One of them is 1 Peter, chapter 4, verse 14 and 16 says this. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and and of God rests upon you. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. This is Peter, and we know his story. He goes on to lead the early church. That's what the book of Acts is all about. All of the different acts that happen, all the different things, all the different uh, stories that happen with the early church are documented in the book of Acts. And this is Peter leading the charge. And he knows that he is going to be persecuted for his belief. They talk about this at the end of this, this chapter 21. This is what Jesus is alluding to is saying, Peter, I'm about to give you a task. It's about to be really hard. And you know what? You're, you're going to die for it. You're, you're going you're gonna to die doing this. And it's Jesus talking about Peter's outstretched hands, which is letting him know he's going to be martyred for his faith. And Peter accepts that price. For all you've done for me, Lord, I will do this. And it's worth it. Peter did end up being crucified. But he requested when it came time for him to be crucified and for his belief that he didn't want to be crucified in the same manner in which Jesus was crucified. In fact, it's documented that Peter was hung upside down on this cross, but upside down as to not take away what Jesus did. He wanted it to be done a separate way, to not take away for the price that was paid. Faith comes with a cost. Faith comes with a cost. You know, we really kind of go at the end of this, very end of this chapter, we kind of go from Simon says to follow the leader, right? Because of the, the very end of that 
verse, he says, follow me. The, the last two words of this passage is Jesus saying, okay, Peter, now that we've got this cleaned up and cleared up, we've talked this out, and you understand how much you mean to me and what plans I have for you, I need you to do two things. Well, one thing, two words, follow me. Just follow me, Peter. That's all I'm asking. Just follow me. Follow, follow in my steps. I'm going to lead you, and I'm going to guide you, but I need to make sure you're, you're, you're right here. Just be with me. Just follow me. Follow my teachings. I've, I've given you instruction on how to live and where to go and what to do. Peter, I'm, I'm going to need you to lead this early church, this brand new church, this body of believers. I'm going to need you to lead this, but you're going to lead them by you following me. Follow me. And what instruction is that for us today? It's truly that simple. So church, those that are sitting in this room right now, would you follow him? Just just follow him. Don't worry about following anyone or anything else. Surely don't follow your heart. It will betray you. It will hurt you. It will lead you in the wrong direction. Don't follow government officials or figures. Don't follow your bank account. Watch who you're following online. Like, none of that. Don't, don't follow anyone but Jesus. Truly keep it that simple. We have complicated this, church. We have complicated this on a grand scale. All that Jesus asks is that you would follow him. Can you put that slide up there at the very, um, can I put that slide up there that shows the failure, repentance, freedom, and responsibility? I, all of us in this room are on one part of this phase right now, in this timeline. You, you are somewhere in this progression. I want you to maybe try to identify where you are in this progression right now. Maybe you are... Maybe you're living in sin, and you need to repent. And today, October the 15th, 2023, can be your day to step out of sin, repent, and walk back to the Father. In Jesus' name. Some of you may be going through a time of repentance where it's heavy. It's heavy right now. You have confessed those things to the Lord, you've confessed those things maybe to a brother or sister in Christ, and you're trying to get it right, and there's some work to do around all of that, and you're just in a season of repentance, we are here for you, to support you, and to lead you, and to equip you, and to love on you through this process. It's not, it's not, it's hard, but it's not hard. It's a hard thing to do, because there's shame and guilt that comes from all of that, but it can be a quick process. You don't have to stay there. And you walk right into freedom. And some of you may be living in freedom. You have gone through that. You are living in freedom. That's a really good place to be, too, to live in freedom. Praise God. I grew up in a very legalistic, um, legalistic environment. I'm, I, over the past 20 years, I've learned what freedom actually means. Like, there's actually another, there's like, grace exists. That's amazing. But it's also dangerous to camp out there forever, too. 
because each and every person sitting in this room has a responsibility and a calling that you specifically have been given for the kingdom, for the church, for the body of Christ. And some of us have been camping out in freedom way too long, and we got work to do. So I would ask, where are you in this process? Maybe you are ready to accept your responsibility and your calling, and you're saying, put me in, coach. Put me to work. Let's go. Let's get done. Let's get this done. Because, yeah, there's a lot to do. That's what a great place to be. Just ready to serve, open hands. Lord, send me wherever it is. Whatever, whatever it is, wherever it is, let's go. It's an incredible posture to have before the Lord. He will use you in ways you didn't even see coming. Because you know what? Years ago, he called you by a name, he, Peter, rock, and he's going to see that play out in your life over time. And sometimes it's a process, but he's got big plans for you. I want to end with this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He's, he's a good guy to quote from, smart guy. But this really kind of helps sum up the greatness of, of this story in a way. It says, our sins are great, but God's love is greater We feel when we are brought low and our sins rise before us with accusing faces that we deserve to be cast away for them. But in the infinite mercy of God, the greatness of our sin only serves to magnify the greatness of his forgiving love. Praise the Lord. He he loves you so much, church. Every single one of you in this room, he agape loves you unconditional, sacrificial, literally to the death. He loves you. So church, I I challenge you this morning. Would you figure out where you are in your story and just do one thing? Just do this one thing. Just follow him. That's all he asks. Just follow him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, for, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of the scriptures. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that works in ways that, that gives us insight, gives us clarity, Lord, gives us rest, gives us comfort. Lord, thank you for being the comforter. Lord, that nudges us closer to you, Lord, allows us to just be with you, and that when we are with you, Lord, we, we want to clean it up, or we want to be more like you. Lord, I pray that even starting today and through the rest of this week, that we'll figure out where we are on this path, and that you would restore each one of us unto you. Restore us. Lord, thank you for the freedom that comes with the cross, the, the price that was paid, the receipts that we have. Show that. Lord, help us to live in that. Lord, put us to work. Lord, help us to carry that responsibility into our homes or into our workplace, to this community. Lord, but let it start with us today in our hearts. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Thank you, church. Have a great week.